Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. I can talk in my microphone. Yeah, you're doing really good. Um, feel free to talk very close to the microphone. You want me to talk closer? Well, you know, one good thing that is going to encourage you is that you referenced in your new book, The Right Thing, that uh, the person who got Ebola, one of the people who got Ebola yeah, recently, right. you want to know something else? Someone's talked in that microphone who's also had Ebola. You have to stop. You have to stop right now. That's why. He's okay now. Who? But he, did he have Ebola when he talked into this microphone? I'm not a doctor. I don't know if like you ever get rid of like it or how not. How long ago was it? I don't know. Like he was the doctor who got Ebola. He was all over like TV. Kent. I don't know that story. You, you know the story, like the doctor who got Ebola, and then the nurse also had it with him, and he gives like part of his medicine to the nurse, and they fly him back in the spacesuit and. He gets back to the United States and he survives. You made that up. I've you said spacesuit. That can't no, be. It's, uh, <laughs> I have his book right here. I have t- too many books. Oh, it's right there. Call to Life. Brantley. Kent Brantley right here. Okay. This is great for a And radio. he talked into this microphone? Yeah. With Ebola? Yeah, that was him. Looking oh, at there's his a picture. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Oh, they did put him in a spacesuit. Yeah. Did you never hear that story? I, somehow I... How could you write... I was probably writing a book or something during this But like time. you referenced Ebola in the book and there's... I did, n- but Nancy Rabel. That's was who that, I was talking was about. She, there was another person in... Obviously, I read that clearly not well enough. Was Nancy the person who got it like a couple years ago? Yeah, I think it was a few years ago. There can't be that many Americans who got Ebola mm-hmm. in Africa. I mean... Here's the thing. I saw him... Uh, couple months ago we were in school together uh before ebola and after ebola we were still friends like we didn't like stop being friends after you get ebola just because right because that would be but i did see the first time i saw him after he he, like came back and he's like hey luke what's up man i go hey i didn't know what to say like what do you say after someone's had ebola right what did you say hey you look good (laughs) you look great you look so good (laughs) yeah so uh, let's say hypothetically this is probably not gonna happen but if it did Let's say Ebola still existed on that pop filter. Right. And you catch it. Okay. You're going to survive, but it'll be a tough couple months. But then afterwards, people see you who knew you before. What would you like them to say to you? I feel like I wouldn't, I I feel like I probably wouldn't want to talk about Ebola. I might just want it to be regular. Just Ebola free? I just think I want it to be, right. Like Ebola wasn't wasn't there. Right. Do you ever feel like if <clears throat> Jesus shows up at like a church and there's crosses everywhere, he might want to be like, guys, I don't want to talk about that. Like I've right, like that's over. Yeah, like I already, we, I did that. I, I've been there, done that. Yeah. You think Jesus kind of the same question. way? It's a great thing to think about. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe that could be your next book. Maybe it could be. Do you think if I'm help me through this because you're a decision making expert? Because uh, you wrote a book about making the next right decision. Um, right. Right? So, like, you're an expert yeah. in this. Talk me through the questions I should ask. If I see Jesus and I'm thinking, like Ebola, does he want to talk about this with the cross? <laughs> okay, so what? So, so let me just get this straight. Mm-hmm. You're asking me what questions should you ask Jesus mm-hmm. if, like Ebola... He didn't want to talk about he it. He didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. So I think the I think the thing to do is to not um, not talk to Jesus like you're inferring uh, a state. You're not saying a statement in the form of a question, which is what we tend to do. Instead, yeah. actually ask a curious question for His sake, not for your sake, not, yeah, or for your needing to make a statement. Mm-hmm. And you just say it with a uh, at the end, as <laughs> if it's a question. So it doesn't count. Yeah, because you know what it should be like, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus. Mm-hmm. Because he went up to Jesus and said exactly what he wanted. Right. I read that in this new book by Revel, which is a Revel, right? Revel, mm-hmm. Revel. Re- Revel sounds cooler because it kind of rhymes with rebel, and it makes you feel like yeah. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's just how do you say it again? Revel. Revel. That sounds like French though. Like that's like fancy. Revelle. Yeah, it's like <laughs> we're based in Paris. You know. Right. But I read that in your new book that he went up to, to Jesus and said what he wanted. And that's a good thing to do. I read you, you told me that's to do right. that. That's and, right. And because Jesus asked, mm-hmm. which I think is, I think he's, I think Jesus is often asking us mm-hmm. that question. And it's one that we are afraid to answer. I really appreciate how you went straight with that when the background for all of that yeah. was the Ebola stuff. But you have to. You, did, you went like, this is the yes and, like improv. Sure. You're doing really, really good. Thanks. Yeah. 
I feel like we should introduce the podcast now. <laughs> okay, go. Um, so you have a book that came out, The Next Right Thing. Yes. Uh, I have a question for you. Do you tell people your Enneagram number? Because I feel like I know what it is. You feel like you know what it is? Yes. Okay, hold on. I got to take a second. I do tell people. Okay. So are you going to tell me what you think it is? Yeah. Okay, tell me. Four. What, what makes you say that? Because I texted Annie Downs. I said, what is she going to get angry? <laughs> she said, you're a four. I thought, wow, that's really good. What have I done to reveal myself? Mm-hmm. She's right. <laughs> She's right. I'm a four. Well, yeah. I mean, that's one way to figure that out. Okay. But also, the orientation to time of a four is the past. Right. And That's what they tell me. That it, it, uh, it's what I've been told as well. Yeah. Suzanne Stabile would tell us that, and she's a master teacher of the Enneagram. Indeed she is. And so I trust her over me. Yeah. And th- so making decisions and like moving forward would be far easier for someone of a seven persuasion like myself or Annie F. Sure. And it would be easier for us to say, oh, this is how you make a decision because we can kind of jump in and make decisions pretty quickly and without... Uh, without being overwhelmed by the decision-making process. Sure. And so this would seemingly be a harder subject for you to write about, which means I think you have far more to say about it than I would, since in some ways it might come easier, or it might appear that that would come easier to me. Right, right. Like, what is there to say? Right. Let's do it. And I think it's a great point that you make, and I think part of the angle is that this is a book or a message or a conversation for those who are chronically hesitant. Mm-hmm. who find themselves second-guessing decisions before they make them, while they're making them, and after they make them. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is something really freeing in asking myself the question, I might not know the big picture right thing to do, but I can do, I can access the next right thing to do. Yes. And that helps me a lot move forward. Because you're right, I can get stuck in, I don't only get, this is weird, ready? Welcome to my mind. I don't only, only get stuck in, what, what should I do next? I also get stuck in, in the future, when I look back, what am I going to regret having done more? Okay, hold on, let's say right. that again. We just time traveled and then we went backwards. You went backwards and then forwards, which is pretty like, right. awesome. Right. So you anticipate the regret that you're going to have yes. in the future. That's right. Wow. That's talk- Give I mean, me an example about that. Like... Are you regretting this podcast right now? <laughs> no. No, not yet. But maybe later. <laughs> you see how that works? <laughs> you see? I, so, for example, one decision I made a couple years ago was to go to school, to go to grad school. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I wrestled so much with it, I mean, in the moment, you know, I, it was one of those things where the door way was open, as our Quaker friends would say. The Mm -hmm. door seemed to be, you know, I could go down that path. My husband was all for it, which, by the way, it would have been much easier if he was like, no, I don't think this is great, because I would have been like, okay, that was easy. Mm -hmm. But that was not the case. Um, So I had this decision to make. I had the opportunity to do it. It was a privileged choice that Mm -hmm. I got to make. But I continually perseverated over the question, a year from now, Am I going to wish, like, how's life going to be a year from now? Am I going to wish that I had not done this thing because now I have all this work to do? And it's, you know, I mean, forget about all the benefits of it. I'm, I'm only thinking of, of the negative, of the hard, of how it's going to be hard or what I'm going to not be able to do because I have committed to this thing already, which I think a lot of us can relate to in any decision that we make that's yeah. going to require something of us mm-hmm. time-wise, commitment, all this stuff. So that's one example of, like, yeah. looking forward to see how I'm going to look back. Okay, what? two things. I think because you use the word perseverate. How, what is that? Perseverate. Word? Perseverate. Yes. I feel like that's why I'm just with Baker, the Baker side of the publisher, and you're with like the French version. No, I it's <laughs> more erudite. Right. Listen. Do you want to know when I learned that word? Yes, I do. I was in college, okay. and I started out as a sign language interpreter major. I knew that. Yeah. Okay. So. One of the coolest signs I learned in sign language is the word perseverate, sure. which we don't normally use in English. Like, that's not something that we talk about. Like, like, like well, hypothetically, I was just perseverating. If doesn't know what that word means, because obviously I do, but some of my listeners might not. Right, they might not. So, but the sign is you touch, you touch your forehead, and that's like the thinking part. Uh-huh. And then with your middle finger, you touch the fist of your, le- of your non-dominant hand, and you like... You have to, it's like you're going, I, I don't know how to say it on a microphone, but it's like you're thinking about it over and over again, yeah, it's sort yeah, of yeah. like this round motion, this repetitive motion. And we learn that sign 
because there, that is a concept in English that we use a lot is like yeah. overthinking, perseverate is the English word. But like I yeah. learned that that word and I loved it. I love the sign that now I want, I use it in English like normal. There's a 80% chance I'm going to use that in a sermon at some point. Cause oh, that, I hope you do. that word is really, it, it doesn't do justice to the sign that you just. Right. Said sign that you just signed the you, the sign that you, that you just, you just signed. signed or said said works said okay right okay uh there's a two I said one was perseverance per, mm-hmm. I don't know what that word is I know the sign I'm doing it you right know now. the just, sign just which tell is people I'm doing it part. accurately okay um second I forgot the second part of that though that's too bad it was it was going to be really good it's going to be the best part this would have been your Oprah moment <laughs> you probably would have started crying <laughs> right then right um. But I'm just going to, how do you say the word? Perseverated. Perseverate. Perseverate. At least that's how I've always said it. The good news is 98% of the population will never correct you because they don't know the word. They don't know. You've done a lot of percentages. Part of what you don't know about me is that I'm kind of a statistics guru. Are you? Well, today I am. Right. Because my dad taught it in, in grad school. He taught statistics, and so it's kind of like the family business, so it's kind of in my veins. Your dad's do. a statistics teacher? Well, he, he's a psychologist, and so he taught statistics oh. in the psychology department. So it's okay. kind of like the family business, so like right. I just know how to do it's it. It's just a part of your yeah, whole osmosis. Thing. Okay. Yeah, it just kind of just came into me that way. It perseverated onto me um, <laughs> naturally. Uh, decision-making. Okay, uh, one of the things that uh, I liked about the book. Oh, we were talking about it. Oh, okay, this is it. Uh, full circle. So as someone who you will anticipate the regret that you have. I think that's why you should write this book. Like, I think that's why you have a gift to offer because I feel like good art always has to cost you something. Yeah. And for someone like me who, like, I I can jump into things. I've made some big decisions on, on, I wouldn't say a whim, but I was very quickly able to process what I wanted to do and haven't regretted it. But it's easier for me to make decisions. I I, I think to some degree, I, I think the thing for me is like, you jump in too fast without thinking through things enough. Right. And so that's the other side of it. Yes. We're, well, here's my question for you. You mm-hmm. said you've done, you've made decisions and you've not regretted it. Is that because they're not regrettable or is that because you've turned them into a win because of your personality? Mm. Um, I don't, my orientation to time is the future. Okay. And so the sort of introspection. The idea, the concept of looking back and reflection. Yeah, I, I just did my year in review and they're like, so what did you, uh, what would you do different from last year? I'm like, I have no idea. I, I've moved on. I haven't thought about it. Which I think the growth area for me is maybe you need to do some of that examining of yourself. And yeah. That, that sort of work on decision-making processes. Yes. Because a great clue about future decisions is to look back at past decisions. Yeah. It can be a great teacher. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to think I made any wrong decisions ever. Sure, that but even easier. but even even looking back at decisions that you made that were great mm-hmm. can be teachers because yeah. you can remember like, oh yeah, that was here's why that was great, mm-hmm. and that can inform future decisions. Yeah, I, I think so too, and I think it it names. It names the same issues that are going to be with you because you're going to carry yes. those same. De- I'm going to carry the same demons that make me make decision in 2005 and 2025, mm-hmm. um, but it'll present different. So in the book, you tell a story about uh, getting invited to go on uh, a compassion trip. That's right. Which I, I was on one of those. Really? Uh, did not have Ebola, uh, completely separate. But I went on one of those uh, in um, 2003. Okay. You weren't going to go on the one in 2003, correct? I did not go on. No, because it wasn't really neat if you were invited to that one. And then I didn't go. Didn't go, and we're like, oh, we could have been friends, right? But the reason you were plagued by not wanting to go, yours was to Thai Thailand. Mine was to the Philippines. Philippines, yes. Is that kind of close? Close. I I went to uh, Lima, Peru, which is not right. Close, different. Well, I thought the Philippines was like right off the coast of Haiti, so. It's not. It's not. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but you were plagued with fear. I was. So, so you're afraid. Yeah. Because your biggest fear, one of your biggest fears is getting sick in a, in foreign, a foreign country. country. It all comes back to Ebola. Somehow it's all coming back to Ebola. That and flying. Like I, I'm okay flying like here, you know, mm-hmm. in the U.S. But this was a situation where we would, I would have to fly from the East Coast, which is where I live, North Carolina, mm-hmm. all the way over to Southeast Asia on an airplane, which is essentially 
a skyscraper on its side, they throw wings on it mm-hmm. and they make it fly through the air really fast. Mm-hmm. And doing that like over the, you know, when there's like airports that you can land in mm-hmm. feels okay over land. Yeah. But then they make you fly over See. the ocean. That just was made me no really airports uncomfortable. Out there. No. No. There's not. So there was that, and then there was also... Did you watch the movie Sully? Because that might have given you some tips on what to I do. I feel like if- this was pre-Sully, because I might have mm-hmm. felt better about it. And and the other thing was getting sick in a foreign country. Like, I just didn't like the idea of 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 Ebola. I mean, really. Like, the idea of... of Call what me old-fashioned. I don't either. Malaria, yeah. you know, all the things, or just or just being... Or just not being okay. I think so. I think a lot of us have a fear of like something's not going to be okay. Whether whether it's getting sick, whether mm-hmm. whatever the thing is that something's going to happen. Which is why back to the enneagram for a long time I thought I was a six because sixes yeah. like imagine yeah. scenarios, worst case scenarios. But what I have since learned, and I might be wrong on the psychology behind this, but I've made it up in my head and it makes a lot of sense to it. me, okay. is that as a four, I live in my head and my imagination is is very alive. And so mm-hmm. I think that prediction of the future um, is a part of that storytelling, the narrative that goes on in my head always. And sometimes it's it's a narrative of disaster and destruction <laughs> and fear. But fours kind of like to live in the melancholy? Well, right. That's our that's our secret that everyone knows is that like there's a little there's a little bit of, you know, mm-hmm. Happiness when it comes to sadness. <laughs> it's hard to explain, mm-hmm. not harder to grasp, but there it is. It's the truth. So we, you had the decision. The person says, uh, don't not do this because you're afraid. Yeah, our trip leader, like I was just kind of going back and forth. I was perseverating well done. over my decision, which by the way, worry is just, it's a form of meditation. I mean, we, it's, we, we imagine <laughs> this, this is what perseverating is. It's like you can perseverate over something great, which I think can be worshipful, or you can do it over something terrible, which is worry and anxiety mm-hmm. and leads to fear. And so that's what I was doing. And I talked to a trip leader and he said, there may be a lot of good reasons for you not to come on this trip, but please don't let fear be one of them. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, I can't think of any reason. There were, there were reasons not to go, but nothing that was, um, strong enough to keep me home yeah do i think i could have stayed home and it would have been fine yeah i think Mm -hmm. i think god was fine either way i think Mm -hmm. so many times we make our decisions about um about god's will i'm putting that in air quotes as as something that i have to figure out and he's trying he's kind of trying to trick me and hopefully i'll choose right but if not you know you better look out Mm -hmm. and i just refuse to believe that we have a god who's like a a carnival trickster you know who's going to try to here's these three these three cups and you have to guess which one the right answer is in and if you don't get it i'm going to withhold something from you that's good um i just don't think he works that way i don't think that's the that's the god of the bible that's a great metaphor i've never thought of it that way because it does uh, like i've I've said some more things i I think god's will for us is less about where when and what and more about who we are which you you say similar thing in in the book but i've never connected the dots of what kind of God does that make God? Listen, if you sit down and ha- and have a, a bit of time in, with your own narratives of God, I think a lot of us, I think a lot of our um, our decisions, our realities, the ways that we relate to the world would make a lot more sense. Because Dallas Willard talks about we all live what we believe. We just don't always live what we profess we believe. Mm-hmm. We might profess that we believe God is good and God mm-hmm. is all the things that are great. But if we believe that he is, you know, if we think that God is a grandfather in the sky who's disconnected from our life, then we're going to think that it's not going to matter what I choose, no matter what, because I'm on my own. Or, you know, whatever that image is that we have of God, I think, and I think a lot of times people's image is uh, one of a secret keeper or a withholder, or someone who's distant, who's kind of standing back with his arms crossed, waiting to see what we're going to do next and if we get it right. And you're so right. It's about connection. It's about becoming. Mm-hmm. And so many times it's like either way. E- as you're walking with me, either either path you choose, let's do this together. Yeah. When someone has that perception of God, the the carnival game, what was your language you used? What was the metaphor? Carnival trickster. <laughs> carnival trickster, that's better than that. When God is a carnival trickster, what kind of weight does that put in our decision-making process? I think it, well, for me personally, um, it causes me to be more afraid, 
more paranoid, mm-hmm. a second guess. I don't move forward with confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can honestly, there is a wall that goes up a little bit, like a, like we're not on the same side. Because if mm. you're a trickster, then I feel I don't want to be duped. I don't want to look like a fool. Yeah. And so there's this, there's just sort of a wall that comes up between me and, and God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that your uh, undergrad was in uh, American Sign Language. Educational right? interpreting for the deaf. Yep. That's and American Sign Language. Yep. Close. Yeah. Close. I was close to that. Um, so you uh, have to do continuing ed to keep up your certification, That's which right. was a big deal to get. You got a national certification. I did. Or something like yeah. That. But eventually, uh, it, it wasn't part of your your career. wasn't what you were doing. Yeah. And the cer- certificate. You no longer kept up with the certification. That's right. I can't even say the sentence. The CEUs. I couldn't keep up with the continuing yes. education. Yeah. And then the the letter comes in the mail. And, and they're it like, says, we're so sorry. You're done. You can't it's use over. your hands ever again to communicate. <laughs> so if I'm saying, hi, my name is Luke, you can't even read that anymore. Like, <laughs> Not you, legally. <laughs> you can't legally read that anymore. Obviously, like you talk about, you cried in the book. You cry when you describe the story in the book. Yeah. That like part of you is like, I would say lost or gone, but like something you worked really hard for. Yeah, there's a grief there. And, and thinking, I mean, think about our college, our, uh, think about our high school seniors and the decisions they're making to go to school, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's like such a decision-making time. And every adult in your life and some not adults ask you like, where are you going to school? What's your major? That's the question, mm-hmm. right? And that's what they all answer. And we expect these kids, 17, 18, 19 years old, to make these decisions that are going to last. And none of us really do. I mean, a lot of us went to school and we don't end up doing what we did, but... Mm-hmm. I think there does come a time for those of us who, you know, I made that choice. I went to school. I, I did that major. I did all the things that were required mm-hmm. to get that job nationally at my school, the diploma, all the things. And then when there comes a time, for whatever reason, when there comes a time where maybe that season is over, what can happen is um, if, if we don't give ourselves the room to grieve, I think some weird narratives can start to hmm. weave their way in our minds of like, I was a failure or I did something wrong. But just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it forever. And I think mm. a lot of us think that we do. Or yeah. or just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it at all. And that feels scandalous a little bit. Cause it's like, but you're gifted in this thing. I mean, I was a good sign language interpreter. Sometimes deaf people thought I was deaf, which is the greatest compliment. You know, yeah, that's like, because, compliment. like your language, it's like speaking the language of the people. It's like going to Spain and people thinking that you're Spanish because of your accent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a similar type of feel. I usually get that because of my tan, <laughs> but uh, same thing. Right. We take what we can get, right? To look like the locals. But so, yeah, it was... N- I grieved it not because it was the wrong choice, but because it was a season that had passed. But it didn't make it didn't mean that it was wrong. It just meant that things have changed. Yeah. And sometimes with decision making, I think we have this idea that like if things change, it means we chose wrong. But in fact, something can be right for a while until it's not right anymore. What does grief look like? What does healthy mourning look like for something you decided it's not time for that anymore? It's time to move on. Gosh, that's a big question. That's what we have a podcast for. I think, honestly, it starts with naming things Mm -hmm. and being specific about naming those things. Madeline Lingle talks about naming things and the importance of naming things and how specificity is really important. And if you think about, I mean, off the top of, of grief for a moment, but if you think about the way that Jesus came. He came to a specific people. Mm -hmm. When he talks and tells the stories, he's telling the stories in the context of the culture where he was. He didn't come to China. He came to, you know, where he came. And Mm so with those people in the stories, and I think the same is true of us, we live in a particular place with particular stories and people, and we have particular griefs. Um, And so when we don't, I mean, we, you know, we talk about gratitude journals and naming the things that we're thankful for, but you know, here in Enneagram Four, talking about grief, right? Mm. With a seven, what does that mean? I don't know. What's that going? What's going to happen? <laughs> but I do think that I'm going to check out the conversation. That's I know it's okay. It's okay. It's gonna. It's gonna get better. No, I, I do think that. Um, I think we could save ourselves, honestly, a lot of grief if we were a little more honest about the grief yeah. sooner. Yeah, I agree. And just name it. Yep. And then like, oh, I'm, s-, because I think we feel ashamed for feeling grief about some things because we don't think they deserve it. Like, oh, well, that's dumb though. Like I yeah. shouldn't feel that way. And then we continue on yeah. feeling that way. 
but not naming it. And then like, we could just kind of move on forward. We can't, it can't heal unless it's named. Until you name it, yeah. I have a friend uh, from our church here who, uh, who's blind and she works or used to work with uh, like teenagers who had degenerative eye conditions that caused them to lose their sight. And one of the things that she described is that some of these students uh, went through what she called like McDonald's grief where they, they they did like this fast food kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm really sad about it. And they never actually did the healthy process of grieving. And so they did this fast food version of it and then eventually it's going to come back to them. And Suzanne Stabile talks about how uh, your feelings come back to you because God is faithful. And mm-hmm. so you, you didn't grieve, but God is faithful. So that's going to come back to you. Now as a seven, I don't feel like that's like good faithful. That's like, hey, I'm going to punish you faithful. But uh, I, I think there is some legitimacy to if you don't deal with those things that they're going to stay back, they're going to haunt you. And uh, yeah, so I, right. I love the naming. They come out sideways. I mean, you're, and our bodies tell yes, us all the time. Exactly, it's like yeah. you can't hide from this reality. What's true mm-hmm. is true, mm-hmm. whether you acknowledge it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm curious for you, how does that come out? Like, how does that look for you in your life? How does that come out sideways? Uh, well, I'm the epitome of a healthy seven. So nothing comes out sideways. I've no sideways. Fully, All fully straight matured. up and down. Yes. Okay. Uh, well, I go to one a lot. So that's a sideways thing. Sevens go to one in stress. Right. I, I, well, I've, I, I've uh, to be completely transparent, like I've really tried to be more honest with my feelings and to sit in them more when I'm upset. Yeah. And uh, I had a friend who uh, uh, passed away from cancer um, a couple weeks ago. And when I got the news, um, it was Sunday afternoon. I had to go preach, a, or I usually go preach a five o'clock service. Mm-hmm. And it, it was 10 minutes before I was supposed to leave my house. And I texted the campus pastor and said, hey, I, I can't do this tonight. You, you got to figure something out. And so I stayed home, had the house to myself, and just sat in quiet. Or I had some music that was kind of contemplative. And I wanted to just to be there and to stay in it. And uh, if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have just distracted myself Mm -hmm. and then if if given enough time it would come out in weird ways and like when i was a kid i had this traumatic experience where uh five-year-old girl uh who was i was friends with i was with and she got hit by a car and uh like car going 45 miles an hour is just terrible scene she never walked again she like her mental functioning just disappeared and um it came back to me almost like three decades later when I had a daughter who was five. Oh my gosh. And I, I, I literally was, I was actually uh, w- talking through that story and it just like, I just came overwhelmed, started sobbing. And yeah, so that's uh, somehow like God's faithful and God brings that stuff back to you. Right. He, anyway. And it hung on for 30 years. Yeah. Or however long, 20 years. Yeah, 30 years, yeah. Wow. I was going to make a joke there and say, let's say 20, so I feel... Younger, so you feel better, right? Yeah, but that's. A but you seven. didn't make Try, the joke. Trying to, yeah. But I talked about making a joke, which you did. It's kind of the same, but it's a little yeah. bit light. It's a little lighter. It's lighter. It's right. like a diet coke. <laughs> yeah, it's so bad for you. It, it, you know, but I mean, it's just cancer. What's the big right. deal? Carcinogens. That's good. That's um, good. Health. Let's movement. change the subject. Okay. Um, so we're not talking about my feelings anymore. Uh, we talked about Ebola already. That's good. Um, we're making uh, decisions. Okay. Um, it's easy to jump to the future. Now, I jump to the future and go, oh, tomorrow's going to be so much better. Things are going to be awesome. You jump to the future and already anticipate your, your regrets <laughs> for today, which is just an amazing like mental game. M- Humans are fascinating, aren't much we? Much respect to that. Like As someone who lives in their head a lot, like I can respect what you're doing. Uh, you, I think the story in the book was you're in California – and you're trying to see a sunset or something like that. Sunrise. Or sunrise. Oh, yes, that's ridiculous. the opposite. Yes. And it's a cloudy day. You don't get to see it. Right. Tears. That's sad. Like, that's awful. And <laughs> uh, some of you jump in, in that story to talking about often we want to jump to the future. Or just a little bit later, I think, in the book. But you want to jump to the future and, like, have, like, your worst case scenario. And so, oh, here's a tie. Was it a tie that you kept on thinking you're going to miss the sunset? And so you want so to So I kept keep going, going back. Going back. I went back three times. Three times to the same spot, thinking because here's the thing: I didn't, I didn't want to regret missing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's still the regret thing. Yeah, because I thought I'm. 
yeah, it's still the regret thing. All these things are coming to me. But yeah, I went, I was in California. I was there, you know, and it's like, you go to California and you're from the East Coast. You wake up real early. Oh my gosh. I had a full day's work before anyone had even woken up over there. I asked someone there, I'm like, do you guys feel like you're late all the time? (laughs) You're missing. And they're like, no. No. (laughs) Except with the news. Sometimes they feel a little behind because we've got like three hours of news before they even get up. But so I, yeah, so I went and I thought, I'm going to see the sunrise, which mm-hmm. it's weird to see the sunrise over the water, but Santa Barbara, so it was like backwards and the way the yeah. beach is, it's weird. But it worked. There was water and there was a sunrise-ish, except I went and it was like, oh, it's too cloudy, so I left. But then as soon as I got to the coffee shop, the sky looked like that glowy color yeah. that you're like, oh, I, I got to go back. So I went back and I thought, okay, m- maybe this, but again, I'm like, no, it's too cloudy. And so I went back and the same glowy thing was happening. The coffee shop wasn't that far from the beach. It's not like I was <laughs> driving 40 miles, but, um, but I kept going back and forth and I realized that I do that in my life a lot, especially in that season of knowing there's something good and not wanting to miss it. And honestly, it's not as much, it was a, I mean, it was a sunrise. It wasn't like a thing with people or like a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause the sun's going to come up again tomorrow. That's what we learned from Annie. Yeah. Um, so, but I, but I realized that I, <laughs> I realized that I, I do that. Yes, like you I, got me. That's pretty funny. Huh? <laughs> so glad. Yeah. Because it was my face was serious. Yeah, Is that why? You didn't know you that just was got, coming. I was like, oh, wow. I know. It's, I did that good. Um, Don't regret that. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't want there to have been a great, beautiful sunrise, and you I missed it. it. Because I don't like... Here's, and here's another thing like that. The total um, solar eclipse that came through, the great American eclipse in 2017, it came through... Um, you know, like all the way coast to coast. And like, I love sky things. Like, I love the moon and the sky and all the things in the sky. It's just like enchanting. So like if you're ranking them, like sky things, water things, land things. Sky things would one. win. What's number two? Water things. Yeah, that's the right answer. And then land things. Okay. Land is important, though. I don't want to like Don't dis disrespect it. You're on it right now. Land. <laughs> yeah. But sky's your stuff. But sky is the best part. And sky and water together, it's like number one and number two. It's like the gold and silver medal. You know, I mean, it like, is, it's my yeah. favorite place. That's why I go to the beach before I go to the mountains. It's just it's how it choice. goes. Yeah. But the total solar eclipse came through like three hours south of where we live. Like we were going to get 93% eclipse, right? But like. But it was like in Nashville. It was like Tennessee, right? Isn't that where if it was? We, well, they went through Nashville. It went through Greenville, South Carolina, which is where I would have gone to see it. It's okay. like three, three hours drive south. But like that day, we had like an open house at the kids' school. It was like life stuff. It was like my real life that day was not conducive to me going to see the total solar eclipse. How how hard do I regret not going to see? Like I, st- it's been two years. Almost. You're still upset, right? I'm now. still like I really regret that I didn't get to see. Because here's the thing: like, let me tell you what's different: ninety three percent eclipse and a hundred percent eclipse. It's real different. Like it's not didn't get totally dark where I was. You're so upset about this. I'm so upset about this. We we had one of our vocalists who we needed to sing a song for a baby blessing that day. We're doing uh, a kindergarten blessing. And maybe because it was my daughter who was in the kindergarten <laughs> blessing, but we really needed her there to sing Forever Young by uh, whoever sings the song. Mm-hmm. And she went to like Tennessee for the, the moon worship, the sun thing. And I was like, no, you have to get back. We're going to fly you back because you have to sing for that. And so I personally have issues with that. That very and, event. And so I have regret that people, like I thought this was like in the Old Testament, people worshiping like the sun because that's kind of right. like a bad thing. Because you almost said moon worship a minute ago. Yeah, that's because what I'm doing there is I was foreshadowing where I was going with like, right. the idolatry. But you have like <laughs> deep, like we both have strong feelings is what I'm saying. Mine is we resentment. Do. Right. Yours is regret. Right. Do you find yourself... Is regret's a big deal. Like you don't want to miss out on this. My thought process when I make a decision is, what am I going to be most happy that I did tomorrow? <laughs> of course, that's your thought process. Like it's no, but right. it's like I, I want to, like I want to wake up early because then I'll feel better at ten o'clock. Where I can look back and go, oh, this morning I got up at five fifty-five, and I feel better about today because of that. Right. You look. F- Mine is like, what's going to be most meaningful? What will be most meaningful? And the regret is, it's not so much like I live my life trying to avoid regret, mm-hmm. although we've established I that I, I do. Yeah. But I don't think of it that way. I guess I do. I'm always looking for the meaning 
and like the meanings behind things. If something is going to be meaningful, I don't want to miss it. Mm-hmm. You see, like a total solar eclipse, <laughs> so meaningful. The whole world went dark, Luke. I get like, that. It was dark mm-hmm. in the middle of the day. The crickets mm-hmm. came out. I'm I'm leaning back in my chair. I'm kind of scared <laughs> of you right now. Yeah. Your four Impressive. is very showing right now, but that's a good thing. Like four, like I- image of God is in every number, even absolutely, especially in forced right now. You almost said even in forced. I might have, <laughs> but we'll edit that out in post. The uh, there's a temptation to jump to the future and go like the worst is going to happen, and you talk about like adding the word today, yeah, at the end of the sentence, which I I, I love that idea of like let's just stay right here right now. You don't need. to add any more than today's trouble. I feel like Jesus probably would have said something just like that. I feel like when you watch how he lived his life on earth, he always was doing his next right thing. Mm-hmm. He just didn't get up and, and have like the week planned out. That just wasn't, maybe nobody did that back then, but I definitely feel sometimes like the disciples had some things planned out mm-hmm. and he was not going along with it. He just sort of went, Now, but he had a big picture, obviously. He had in mind the vision of mm-hmm. where he was headed. He knew what he was to do, but when he interacted with people, um, it was sort of a next right thing yeah. kind of a way of living life. You said something right before that. I forget what it was. But adding just today. Just focus on oh, just today. Oh, adding today. To the end of the sentence. Right, because I will, when I'm in a busy season of life, I will look at my calendar and see all the things that need to be done. Mm-hmm. And then I will sometimes feel a little paralyzed or stuck because it's too many. It's just too many things. Mm-hmm. And so my trick for that or the help for that is to ask myself, you know, for example, um, I think one example I talked about was like my girls started high school, started their starting high school. This was like last spring. And I was thinking about, I have twin girls, so they were both starting high mm-hmm. school at the same time. Now they're, they're trying, you know, are they, are they ready? Do we have to get, we have to sign up for school. We have to do all these things. Mm. And then I just sort of slowed myself and said, are they starting high school today? today. Yeah. And the answer was no, they're not. Now, are there things that I could do today to plan for the thing mm-hmm. in six months? There might be, but they're pro- usually there's not, you know, but to, to calm myself down and remember, let's just, let's keep the next thing first. Yeah. And that helps me not to rush into all the things that don't belong to me yet. Yeah. My youngest daughter is in her last year of preschool, and she goes to uh, a Mother's Day out preschool two days a week up here at our church. And so Tuesdays and Thursdays, I get to take her to, to work with me. Yeah. And I just had the realization that I only have three more months of that. And oh. then she's not going to arrive with me to school on yeah. Tuesday, Thursday. And I got really sad about it. Mm. Like my wife mourns like the the baby stage, and like I like babies. Like yeah. I'm not like I'm not against babies. Right. Like I don't. You're not anti baby. I'm not anti baby. Yeah. Right. But I'm very pro like the toddler. Like that's my that's I, I love that stage. And I found myself going like this is the like there's a demarcation that yes. I'm crossing. Right. And I started to like oh no, like I started to have feelings like all the feelings that all I didn't want to have, and I found myself going. Today, all right, just today. It's not happening today. Be aware of it, but acknowledge you are right now where you need to be. Yeah. And you have a line in the book about um, um, more versus enough. And often we want like more and more and more. And the move like of, of gratitude is to say like, okay, this is enough. Like I'm, I'm this, these three months, that's what I've been blessed with. That's what I've been given. It's enough. Yes. Is that the right, mm-hmm. is that the move you want us to make? Mm-hmm. That was not really a question. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> We could probably make one out of it. But I just wanted to see if you want to riff off that. Okay. Um, that was, I guess, maybe not a good decision, but we're not going to call it a failure. Let me tell you why. Because in your book, you talk about how we often associate decisions that end up successfully as a good decision. Right. And if they have external failure, therefore the decision becomes. A bad decision. Yeah. Is that all we should be doing? Or is there a deeper way to interpret things? Well, we live in a culture that does it that way. Mm-hmm. And we get rewarded for um, our good decisions by the way we define success here in our mm-hmm. American culture is um, finding the right answers. And we apply that to our life and say that the right answers mean success. Mm-hmm. And... 
I think we can get in a lot of trouble when our lives are about finding the right answers rather than about uh, being curious and becoming yeah. more um, fully ourselves. And sometimes the things that bring myself to the table more whole, more wholehearted, are the things that were the hardest through suffering and yeah. through difficulties. And um, so, yeah, I think that's not a great way to measure whether or not the decision was a good one or a right one. Um, I think it's more, is Jesus with me? Am I bringing this into his presence? And it's not about, is there conflict or is there difficulty? It's how do I, what's my posture now in the midst of that difficulty, in the midst of that conflict? Yeah. It's very easy to look back on a decision that doesn't have the external um, benefit of, oh, well, that was obviously a win. And to go, well, I made a wrong decision. Yeah. Because you, like you said, you know, we're in a culture that, like, same with the Enneagram stuff, like, we, our country is a bunch of threes. Like, we, our country is a three. Like, yes. success is our mantra, and we, we seem to bow down and worship that idol time and time again. And it seems like spirituality pulls us away from that, saying there's, there, there are other questions that are on the table. There are other things that need to determine. Because there are a lot of decisions that, you know, I can look back on and go, well, that might not have been the most successful thing but I'm very grateful for it, yes. and I'm grateful for what I experienced because of it, even if it didn't have the sort of success that a lot of people look at and go, well, that, that didn't have it, therefore it was a wrong decision. Yeah, I think that when we start to look at things through the lens of the kingdom of God, it changes quickly mm-hmm. what we call successful and what we call failure. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you one thing I think is a failure. Notifications on your phone. Turn them off. You mentioned that in your book. Listen. Let me make your life easier, everyone. Go ahead. Yeah. Turn off your notifications. Just, See, I thought everybody already did this. I thought so, too. My intern showed up this summer, a college kid. Right. Now, I'm not a scientist, but what I've heard is that your brain isn't fully formed till you're 25. Is that the number? Yeah, okay. and this kid's like 19. And so I would say his brain, based on where it is right now, probably needs to stay in the oven a little bit longer. He's I would say 27 might be realistic. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but the first thing, I, like, he had his phone, and, like, it buzzed because he got an email. I was like, What? No. no, stop that. You are no. not on your phone's timetable. Yeah, go your read phone's tech not wise the boss. Family. Yeah. Right, right. Go, go read TechWise Family. Let Andy do Crouch that. make you feel really guilty, <laughs> but do what he said. You it's know, a short or, book or at some least. Of it. Yeah, right. It's a little bit of shame, <laughs> but it's, it's substantial shame. It's good. It's important. Yeah, that notification thing, like I am shocked when I still, and, and again, I'm trying to think of something that I do. I get text messages <laughs> still can you get those without can you turn your notifications off for those i think you can i don't know you can have like do not disturb mode but you can't live your life in do not disturb mode no but for anything else it's like how about we stop letting everybody else's agenda live for free in the creative space of our minds yep. how about we how about we move forward with a little bit of white space wherever we can get it because it's already mm-hmm. hard enough right i agree and so those notifications man Turn them off. I'm not saying they're the devil, but they are. <laughs> they are. A little uh, bit. Some people that aren't, uh, they're writers like you. They, ha- they haven't written a bunch of stuff with a, a Parisian publishing company. <laughs> uh, how does it impede creativity of someone who's, like, I'm not painting the Mona Lisa and I'm not you know, composing some piece of music. What sort of creati- creativity am I missing out on because I have my notifications? Right. Well, you're assuming that creativity means art like means like painting and writing but in fact if the first thing we know about god is that he created and the first Mm -hmm. thing we know about us is we're made in his image then that means that all of us are creative in all that we do we have the capacity to be creative even your statistic teaching dead Mm -hmm. it's there's creativity involved and all it's a little much but i mean Mm -hmm. here's this it's the bible yeah so so i just think that there especially when it comes to making decisions um when it comes to problem solving and thinking through and making decisions, I mean, all of that requires some level of creativity. It might look different for mm-hmm. all of us, but but when we're constantly pulled, I think it's Cal Newport in his book Deep Work who talks about the okay. the switching, like the how the task switching, like when you're checking your email and then you switch to doing a different task or. You, how it like it drains i don't know i'm going to throw out a percentage like 20 percent of your energy i love statistics right it's so accurate mm-hmm. and right mm-hmm. 
And then, like, if you if you that's like you can only switch five times, and then you're done with you're your done, energy for the day. You're done with the day. You yeah. just do five it things, is. and if you do them all in like five minutes, it's over. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you one of the terrifying things is years ago someone said, "Oh yeah, my uh, seminary has uh, uh, a class on or in one of the intro classes. They teach how to source something and like how to source a podcast. And so, in a seminary class, someone used something you said in a podcast as a source material in like an actual thing that someone turned in, uh, which makes me think someone's going to quote you and say, like, it's statistics. Pers- statistically it's speaking. Statistically speaking, I heard right. on a podcast once that that's how it works. Right. I, I 100% agree that when you change your mind, like, I am kind of, I, I might, like, lock my door and, like, turn the lights off in my office so people don't know if I'm here when I'm working so that they don't, like, interrupt me. Right. Sometimes. It's why I, like, put earbuds in, like, if I'm at the gym when I used to do that, or <laughs> if I'm... <laughs> On an airplane, like I'll put my earbuds in, but I won't plug them into anything. Mm-hmm. It's like that's why the that's, br- that's the brilliance of the air AirPods. Is that the ones that don't have the wires? Because like who, you just put them in Airbud. But isn't that a dog? It's a pod, a though. <laughs> isn't Airbud a dog? Airbud's a dog. That was a dog that plays basketball, <laughs> mm-hmm, which is pretty cool. Right. Would you rather have a dog that played basketball or the new ear things? I would rather have a dog that plays basketball. Me too, because I feel like there's just one of those. Yeah, but anybody with money can get the ear thing. Yeah, anyone. And you and you need two of those. You really only need one dog that can (laughs) play basketball. That's it. Like that's your limit of dog playing. That's it. That's all you need. I think that would be a great decision. I feel like we should poll the audience. Like if you had to choose and you didn't take um, the the dog playing basketball, I'm not saying I don't want you to listen to the podcast anymore. But I feel like you need to do some serious inventory of your life like give me one reason why you wouldn't take the dog right why would you uh, i guess if you're dog? allergic but if you're but allergic still, you could sell for a lot of there's money there's medicine for that there like, is medicine for that people with allergies have dogs all the time exactly and they're people get sick all the time you know it doesn't happen dogs don't play basketball <laughs> all the time that's a good decision take that to the bank right um okay here's something that's very true but sometimes we think the decision is actually not the decision right it's a decision. Sure. Great point. I like you know why? You said that. Why? You, know, you know why? Because I read that in your book. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. That is so smart. Source mm-hmm. that material. <laughs> uh, that's, pay, I don't know what page it is, 16. <laughs> Call right. it 16. Yeah. I think what often happens is there's like this snowball effect where you have like one thing and then you start like adding like the second thing and the third thing, the fourth thing. And instead of like four individual decisions, you have this like cumulative effect of like this overwhelming sense that I can't get behind all these things. I can't right. figure them all out. And it becomes like the decision that's, that's paralyzing you. Yeah. But sometimes moving it down to just, this is just a decision can change. How so? It's a decision. And to remember the decision is rarely the point. I think when, when we keep, my husband says a lot that when you hold on to the wrong things, the wrong things hold on to you. And Ooh, so when I, good. he's good, right? Really, all the good stuff I say comes from him, but he's not a writer, so... Yeah, he, take it. I'm taking it. He said I could. Yeah, it's that's fine. nice. So he says that, and I take that My to My wife heart. says a lot of good stuff that I take. Right. She's like, if there's uh, a, a thermometer, you rub it across the forehead, and that's how you get the temperature. She's a nurse, so that's what she teaches me about stuff. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I don't know if you know that. It's a beep. Do you have a thermometer like that for your kids? I don't, but now I'm wondering why I don't. I, I, again, I take good things from my wife too. I'm just saying, we take we take the lessons good stuff. From, from our spouses. We do, and that I think that when we are when we make a decision, the decision, it's letting it's it's holding on to the wrong thing, and then it has a hold on us. Mm-hmm. And that, and I've been there, man. I mean, I've. It's like you obsess about. It's like when you're. Tra- <laughs> This is the dumb. I'm excited about this. It's like when you're in the market for a car and yes. you think about, okay, I think in. I'm going to get a Toyota. And then you're like, I see Toyotas everywhere. They mm-hmm. are everywhere, all the Toyotas. And you can't stop thinking about the Toyota. It's like when you have a decision to make everything, you, th- you think, you see through the filter of the decision, like just every, oh, this one thing that I read today, and that thing that person said, that sign, that billboard I saw on the side of the road, like everything seems to be about the decision and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But mm-hmm. I, I think that's one way we can perseverate Gosh, so over a decision in a way that, um, but it's interesting because un, it, it proves the power of unmade decisions. And 
an unmade decision demands movement. It, it requires something of us. And I think that when it comes to our spiritual formation, it's such an interesting way God can get our attention is that when you have, you have this thing you have to decide, you either have to move towards it and do the thing or avoid it, which is also a decision and takes some effort, yeah. which a lot of us do sometimes. Um, so I think that there's a really interesting opportunity in the midst of unmade decisions where we're really focused on the decision. But I think our friend Jesus is coming alongside of us and says, how can that thing that you're looking at cause you to turn towards me? And then maybe perhaps we can do this together. And on the other side of it, you're going to be transformed in a way that you could not have been without that decision. Yeah. I've never thought of unmade decisions like they haunt you. They do. some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, not unmade decisions. Right, Completely but we could change things. it. A, I yeah, feel like we could bit. change it. You know, there's a one theory as to why songs get stuck in your head. Tell us. Is do you remember the last time you had a song stuck in your head? Well, right now, after you just sang, after you just said that one. Yeah, you know. Okay, let's go with that. So that's the Garth Brooks song, "Unanswered Prayers." Mm-hmm. One of the theories is that when you hear a song like, say. Unanswered prayers. And maybe for some reason you don't like Garth Brooks. Maybe because you don't want to go to heaven. I don't know why you don't. I don't even like country music, but I'm like, it's Garth. Like, you got to give him a little bit of mm-hmm. love and respect. But typically you're going to turn the song off if you don't like it. But sometimes the song stays in your head because your brain works to completion. And so your brain's going, I didn't hear all of it. I didn't hear all of it. Oh, gosh. I didn't hear all of it. I didn't hear right. all of it. Right. And so now you're going to hear some of God's great excuses are unanswered prayer. Wait, what's the rest of the course? What's the rest of the course? And, and then it starts st- over. Because it's not right. complete. And yes. so your brain is working to completion. And so these undecided things are begging for completion. Does that mean if you were to just sing the song through one time, it would be gone? Like if you look it's like it up. It's like hiccups. It's like if you like say the alphabet backwards, hiccups leave. Same thing with the song. Same exact thing with decisions. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Feel free to source um, the book, The Next Right Thing, as the rationale for that thing. And uh, don't forget, it's Emily P. Freeman. Don't when, forget that. When you put that in the bibliography for the paper <laughs> on decision making. What does the P stand for? It's my middle name. Do you want to guess? Penelope? No, that's okay. what everyone says. Uh, perseverance? Perseverate? <laughs> Perseverate. No. Um, uh, one more, one more. Felipe. It's Patrice. Patrice. My mom's name is Patrice Patricia. Is it? Yeah, it's like the American version of Patrice. What's Patrice? What version is Patrice? I don't know. It's, a fr- it's French, obviously. It that's why you're French. with the Parisian <laughs> publisher. Right. Uh, do you have any? Qu- I feel like I've asked you a lot of questions, and I didn't give you a chance to ask me questions. Do you have anything that you want me to help you with? Do you want me to ask you some questions? I don't know. I like. I, I feel like I'm being selfish and just asking you questions. All right. Well, here's something. Red. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I, I just sensed that that's what you're wondering. Red. Got it. That's good. Yeah. Right. Right. Do you have an unmade decision right now that's haunting you? Uh, I got a couple decisions I'm wrestling with right now. So what's your process for making those decisions? Do you tend to, here, here's a question. Okay. When you have a decision to make and you're going to talk to a friend about it, do you go to that friend hoping they will? Confirm what I already want them to say. Is that what you want? I mean, that's the best option is if like you're leaning towards, like, so you play the game where you flip a coin you're like, if it's heads, then we're getting pizza. If it's tails, we're getting Mexican food. And, you, and it turns out to be like it lands on tails. And it's like, you're like, oh, I, I really, I really wanted, wanted pizza. Yeah. And so like the, the flipping like concretizes your preference. Yes. Sometimes it's nice when your friend says, you know what, Luke, what you want to do is already great. But I, younger Luke would have wanted just that. I, yeah. The older I get, the more I'm like, I kind of value like other people's opinions and perspectives. I'm starting to see like, I have my own ways of thinking that kind of get stuck and I get my own ruts. So I try to try to listen. Right. But, um, yeah. Okay. For example, um, I have a truck that is 13 years old now. And when I got it, I said, I'm going to drive it for eight years. And then I got like extra children. And so I was like, Oh, five extra years with the car. Cause I have extra children now. And so I'm like, okay, I, I think I need to get a new vehicle. And I'm like, tell my kids, hey, I think I'm going to get a car instead of a truck. And they're like, no, I don't. you can't drive a car. I'm like, why not? They go, because you're just not, you, I want you to drive it. And I go, it's more expensive. But my kids have worn me down. I'm like, okay, fine. I will stick with driving a truck. I wanted them to say, you can get whatever you want, Dad. I just want you to be happy. But my children are very selfish. Mm-hmm. 
is there a decision making flaw that I'm I'm in practice right there by listening to my kids and letting their opinion be valued and respected? What do you think? That's a good move right there. That's like a psychology move. It's like my childhood all over <laughs> again. Uh, I, honestly, I I think I don't really have that strong of a preference. Right. About that's that what kind of thing. that's what I was thinking that yeah. you thought. Yeah. Right. You you were meeting my mind. Red. Wow. I see what you did there. Yeah. That's because the red marker is right next to you right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Emily, I feel like this has been very eye-opening for many of us. What it, like, so someone picks up this book. The person who's... It, this book's not out for like two months. Two months, right? April 2nd. April. I have no idea when we're talking. This is... We're, it's February. Today. I don't know what this is. <laughs> when are we? This is in your... <laughs> what, what's going to happen is when this book comes out, you're going to be regretting this conversation. <laughs> That's, what's hap- That's what's happening. I'm living my regret right now. Okay, so I'm... Yes, premeditated regret. That's what this moment is. The person... Oh, okay, I, I assume this process for you to write this book involved you saying this is the target audience for the book. This is the person who I think is going to pick up this book and really connect to it. You looked away to the left like, did I not do that? No, I was thinking of something else. Sorry. What were you thinking of? <laughs> I was thinking, this is, this is awful. You edit stuff oh. out. You're not going to edit any of this out. I know you. You don't way. edit things. Yeah, you know me. We've known I, each other for so long. I already know that about you. We've known each I other can for tell. 57 How long minutes. has it been recording? 55. We had, really? two min- we had really good two minutes beforehand. That's long. That's longer than I thought. I've, I was thinking about, I have this, I have this quiz that, that I've, that I created to, to help people figure out if they make decisions from their gut, their head, or their heart. And I was trying to think about which one you would be. That's why I looked off to the left. But I, didn't, but I hadn't asked you the quiz questions. What do you think the answer is? I think for you, well, I don't know. But I think based on what we've said, it sounds like you're either a gut or a head person, mm-hmm. which without just would take out the feelings part. <laughs> so I'm definitely 60% chance that I'm right. <laughs> You've done really good so far. I, I would say it's when I went to a therapist for the first time, he said, uh, you don't talk about your feelings enough. And I go, he says, I feel like you need to engage your feelings. And my actual response, honest to God was, I'll think about that more. There it is. So it, I mean, I'm an Enneagram yeah. seven. Like that's you're head in the headspace. Space. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm all up there. I'm having to work towards feelings. And uh, how do you think someone who's in the the gut space would is, gut? Is that the word yeah. language you're using? Or intuition? Intuition. Yeah, I like that better than gut, just because I don't like the word gut. But it's just personal. What about spelunkna? <laughs> the Greek? I don't love it. You don't like that one? I don't love it. Yeah. Okay, uh, how would they make decisions? Give me uh, characteristics of someone who's making decisions from that part of their self. Well, I think there are some similarities between those who those of us, because I'm in, in the heart center, mm-hmm. those of us who make decisions from the heart um, and lead with our feelings, um, which doesn't just mean that we, if I feel great about it, I'm going to do it. It's not, <laughs> doesn't, it's not that, but it's how I process it is through a feeling mm-hmm. place, right? Yeah. And I think those who... I mean, I'm I'm really good friends with some Enneagram ones, and when they're healthy, their um, intuition cannot be they can't miss. It's just they just know things, and I think that gut yep. intuition person in a healthy space when they and it doesn't mean they automatically know mm-hmm. what to do. Um, I recently was talking with someone who was like, it's not like a knee jerk reaction thing, but I think there is a natural knowing that. Uh, someone who makes decisions from that space that they have, but they just need permission to go with it. I think yeah. sometimes they maybe if you're in an unhealthy place or, or you're unhealthy place or you're not feeling supported, you might question that. And a lot of times when I've talked to some people who do make decisions from that space, they've said, like I asked the question, when you regret a decision, it's usually because why? And they say it's because I I knew what to do and I didn't trust my gut and I mm-hmm. didn't do it, yeah. and that's the regret. And that makes sense to me that someone in that space would, would think that way. And my regret would be, I didn't do my research. That's exactly right. I didn't make a rational decision. And mine would be, I made a decision that didn't feel like me, that didn't reflect my values and my intentions clearly. That's why when I'm moving forward, like 
in, you know, vocationally or in ministry or work or whatever, especially, I want what I put out into the world to really reflect who I really am and what I really value. And if it doesn't, it's like, I feel like I'm coming apart. I've never associated value with feelings. Like, what are my values? Like, I've never put that together. Like, this is who I am. This is my I wish I didn't. Honestly, it would be easier if I could just separate those out. But I... I don't know how to separate those out. Because I, I just typically go, is it right or wrong? And, okay, this is the right decision. I'm going to have to compromise some stuff, but it's the right. Like the, the car thing. Right. I would much rather drive a truck. Like I, I've driven a truck for a long time. Um, but the math says gas is, gas prices is better. Uh, or Gas mileage is obviously better for a car. I don't have to the pull data. a trailer anymore. You're, you're going to data, right? Data, yeah. The math says the number. Do, the numbers don't indicate that's the right decision for for the lifestyle that I'm currently living. Right. But it would. Your question would be: Does this reflect like my core values and right. this is who I am? Right. And obviously, a piece maybe of, not in that exact situation. But like, there yeah. is the question that I would bring up, which would be beyond the math. Yeah. Math could play, and that's one thing where I think we make more soulful decisions when we lean on all those because we all have access to our head, we all have access to our heart yeah. and to our intuition, but we all lead with one over the others. And the conversation that I think is interesting to have when it comes to decision making is what does it look like to be people who integrate all three of those? Because mm-hmm. I think that's when our most soulful yeah. decisions come. Suzanne says, Suzanne Stabile, uh, Enneagram guru, lifestyle coach, and overall mentor slash best friend of mine. Uh, she says when when you occupy the space that's not, like that's a repressed part of you, that it's honest. And mm-hmm. in some ways you're reverting back to like a, a childish engagement with it. So there's like this, that's it's very transparent. And so I've seen um, uh, someone who doesn't occupy the feeling space go there and, uh, uh, you know, very callous, intellectual, uh, person becomes almost like tearful as yes. they're engaging with this part of themselves that like you've clearly regressed in your maturity by how you're functioning right now. Now it's honest and it's true, but it's not polished. That's fascinating and so true. Cause I've, I can see that happening in my head with people mm-hmm. cause it's like, they don't, they'd ha- they aren't practiced in that language of that space. And so they come at it like almost like a toddler in a way, Yeah, but That's it's honest, but it's on it. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, totally honest. So like, as a four, you can thrive in the feeling space. Listen. You can live there. If you give me someone who's struggling, I can sit there. I will not try to fix you. I will just sit there all day long. It's the best. It actually makes me feel happy. I feel weird saying that out loud. It's a weird, you have a weird look on your face. That's the right interpretation just, of that I look. don't I don't know what it is I think because it's the full it's the full expression of a full life it's oh like God. this is true God. this is what is true it is this is pain and there's joy and we they both uh, coexist and it's like this colorful mess of joy and grief and I love it I can do that for like 15 minutes really really well yeah and then after that, I'm like um, you want to talk about the future and like some good <laughs> stuff that might happen Right. I mean, I you know, I guess there probably is a limit. I've just not. I maybe I've met it. I don't know. I can't remember. You know, it's my been a while. closest four friends are, live in like other places in the world because like I, we're really good for like seasons, and then like like too much of this is just it's too much. Yeah. Not like I feel like you and I can be friends for an hour and two minutes. Like that's that. That might, feels good. Yeah. Like we okay. can, but too much feelings right. is just like I'm gonna just curl up, but. I should edit that out. I've, I love fours. Um, but you're right. Like there, there's, there's a different space that you can occupy in an easier way than everyone else. But like you're saying, like to integrate all of them yeah. is, I feel like that's kind of the, not just the, the, the beauty of community that we can all bring something to the table, yeah. but that's kind of like the picture of what maturity looks like for all of us. I think it does. Is occupying those spaces. Um, in summation, do you feel like the next right thing for you uh, after you got off the plane was to come to my office and do this podcast? I feel like it was. What are you going to regret about this conversation tomorrow? What will I regret? I'm just like, that's like your space. It is my space. It is like in all seriousness, that is a thing that I do. (laughs) No, (laughs) but I'm not saying I will do that. Just saying I have done that in my life. 
Have you done that today? Today? Probably. You know how something is so normal to you that it's hard to put into words? So it's like, I think I probably have, but it might take me a week to figure out how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> the orientation to time thing was really cha- like very helpful for me. Yeah. Because I realized all my questions that I like to ask people are, hey, so what are you doing next? Uh, what, what do you got on the calendar you're looking forward to? Which That's is, interesting, right? Yeah. But not everybody thinks that way. They should. <laughs> they really should. Life would be better. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't know you until uh, I got this book in the mail. And I guess actually in person is how you know someone. But um, I, you're, you're a good writer. Thank I, you. I assume you've written a few more than this, right? Uh, this is my fifth book. You're a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. Of simply Tuesday. Oh, Annie does a thing where she's like, Tuesdays Tuesday ain't cute. Tuesday, you ain't cute. And to that I say, That's a harumph. I say, it's simply Tuesday. We need to celebrate our smallness. And when things don't go right, Annie and I are in a, <laughs> an Instagram duel. Not really. We've laughed about don't it. Don't shoot each other. That's terrible. We won't. Oh, yeah. That's what duel means, isn't it? Is, it there, is there another word I'm There's a dual of? meet, like where you have two Duels when you like 10 compete. spaces and then turn around. 10 paces and you turn around. And you, yeah, we're not, we're not in that. We're in a friendly duel. Friendly duel. Not really. So it's like her tu- Listen, though, if you follow her on Instagram stories, her Tuesdays ain't cute. No, they're not. All the things happen to her on Tuesdays. Which might, I don't I'm just saying, I know she's like this book, but maybe she should read it a second time <laughs> because she needs maybe make better decisions. Maybe she, maybe she needs to rethink her Monday nights. Simply Tuesday. Like, that's a good title. Thanks. Is that what it is? Like, celebrating our smallness? Is that what the book it's is? It's small moment living in a fast-moving world. Yeah, all about wow. celebrating your smallness because Tuesday is the most regular day of the week. And so that's representative. I just, all I do is write new metaphors for us to live by. Living so I pull out Tuesday and talk about real everyday life. Tuesday's a metaphor for the mundane. Yeah, oh yeah. Think about it. If you, if you watch TV, pay attention, and anytime the actors are talking about like a regular, boring, blah, 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 they're always like, well, what are we supposed to do in, in Cabo on a Tuesday night? Well, maybe not Cabo, but like, you know. Cabo's great every Cleveland. Day. I've heard, yeah, They'll be like, oh, there's nothing to do in Cleveland on a Tuesday night. There's, maybe there's nothing to do in Cleveland ever. I don't know. I feel like I wrote a line in a, my you used Tuesday, didn't book you? where I used Tuesday. Of course in you did. For, it was a regular Tuesday. Yeah. I, I almost want to open, a, I have a box of books right there. I want to open up and look and see. I guarantee I, you, you did. You don't even have to look. Because everybody does. It's, it's the representative day of the week that's like, it's just Tuesday. It's shorthand for everyday life. Yeah. Totally. I feel like I've been Ordinary offensive time. to Tuesdayans. Like, if you're born on Tuesday, does that mean you're just going to have a born? I don't know. Well, congratulations on the uh, Wall Street Journal liking your, your book there. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> what? I wish you had a day associated with this. That could have been your thing. Like, I thought about doing a Wednesday book because it. Could, I mean, it's so marketable, right? It's mm-hmm. like I'm just going to do. I'll just do six more books, mm-hmm. and then I'll be done. So my first book is entitled "God Over Good." Yeah. And someone said, "Well, my next book is about." Um, I'm using monsters as a metaphor for fear. Like they put fur, flesh, and skin—the very things that like haunt us all. And obviously, monsters aren't real, but fears are very real for all of us. And uh, someone said, "Well, what if the title was God Over?" fear and i wanted to stab him i was like i don't that's not i don't want to do that but if i had like a day thing like that's really unique and right special. right you don't want to be like chicken soup for the fear and like doing all the things not that there's anything wrong with chicken soup hey you're gonna add that out i would if i got that chicken soup check i would be more than willing to listen to take it's brilliant that. truly it is mm-hmm. but that's it um good podcast anything else you'd like to say i think i'm good Thanks okay. for having me. I don't, th- don't regret any of this. This is a long podcast, but I don't feel like you should re- regret any of it. Do you feel like this is like 19 podcasts, if this was like based on length? This is two months worth of content for me. <laughs> well, I'll send it to you. I look forward to that. <laughs> Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>